great singing with you guys this morning. Good morning. It's great to see you. If you have your Bible, do me a favor, get it out. All right. If you don't have a Bible, there is one in a chair in front of you. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, uh, do me a favor, take that one with you. Okay. The one that's in the chair in front of you, we'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God. And I hope you'll read it on a regular basis. My name is Pastor Sean. And uh, I know some of you, you probably never met me before. I pastor the Yorktown campus. I'm the lead pastor of Coastal. And so I hope to come up here every so often and teach you guys and uh, love, love, love being here. Last time I was here, the walls weren't as painted, the stuff wasn't hung, so this is awesome, man. Moving in the right direction and uh, uh, Brian texted me in the middle of the service. You shouldn't be texting in the middle of the service, especially the pastor because he answers them, okay? So uh, <laughs> he's like, you're sitting in the worst spot for sound. I said, no, I'm sitting right in the speaker so I can sing as loud as I want. Nobody can hear me. So uh, it's fantastic. But um, yeah, so while you're getting your Bibles out, a couple things I want to draw to your attention. Uh, We have more of these. I know David said this, but the 30-day devotional, a lot of people are taking this journey together, even as families. There's a daily devotional written by a lot of the folks on the Coastal staff, and this is an excellent tool to help you with the next three weeks of this journey we're taking through this series. And I also want to let you know, um, I know a lot of you do know Paul and Courtney Schaefer. We're actually going to honor them at the end of the 11 o'clock service. I'm actually going down to honor them. So... Uh, you have time to make it if you want to sneak into the back side of the uh, 11 o'clock service at Yorktown, probably about 12, 12, 15, we're going to honor them and, and uh, thank them for their ministry. For those of you who don't know, they actually birthed a, a food ministry out of one of our sermon series. God laid on the heart to start feeding hungry people with the hopes of making sure they hear the gospel, giving them food for their bellies so that they can, they can uh, hear the, the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ, right? And so, um, and so they started that and just continued to grow, and um, I'm letting a little bit of a cat out of the bag here, okay? So uh, so it's a prayer request rather than, uh, it's definitely happening, it's a prayer request you can be praying about, but the, I know the food ministry team, and did, I, did my thing just go off? No, okay, uh, you just turned it down. Uh, okay, yeah, I'm a yeller. And so um, my wife last week was like, you were like spun up, you know? I was like, yeah, a little bit. Uh, so... Um, uh, just to let you know, the, the mission team is beginning to pray about, man, how can we logistically also do food service from right here, okay? And so one of our dreams at Coastal is ultimately we want everybody to know Christ, okay? That's what that's the bread of life that everybody needs, but we want to give a, a hand to man with the hope of giving the gospel, okay? And so there really doesn't need to be any hungry people on the peninsula. And so if you know somebody even in Gloucester has a food need, if you can figure out a way to get to Yorktown, we always have food. And our hope is to bring a distribution up here too. And so we're praying about that and, and the logistics it would take to pull that off. And, and I think we're going to be able to do it. And I hope you would be excited to volunteer and be a part of that. And uh, it's just been a, a really healthy ministry. Coastal, anybody excited about that? I want to make sure I got enough volunteers. All right. So it's a great opportunity for you, your family. Good. And uh, if you have a food need, let us know, okay? We, we can help you in that regard. Coastal wants to also help uh, the, uh, the members of their church and, and the people that are investigating. All right? All right, it's Ephesians chapter 6. Let's jump in. I, uh, one of my favorite Christmas movies uh, is probably the movie Die Hard. And uh, I know you don't think of that as a Christmas movie, but, you know, there's a very famous line in there, ho, 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 now I have a gun, okay? And uh, it's right up there with some of the great lines out of It's a Wonderful Life, okay? But... Um, 
But if you know the story, uh, the lead character is played by a guy by the name by Bruce Willis, and he, he's John McClane, kind of this rogue police officer. He ends up at a Christmas party at, Nak- uh, at Nakatomi Plaza, and they get this 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 uh, this plaza, this this skyscraper that's not yet finished, gets taken over by by terrorists. And these terrorists are trying to get to the bank vault at the bottom of this, this high rise. But John McClane, this rogue police officer from New York, he, he, he decides to put a little fly in the ointment of the plans of these terrorists, right? And so in one of the scenes, um, he, he's pinned down in this unfinished office space by the terrorists and uh, they're shooting at him and they have him pinned down and the Hans, the lead terrorist, notices that he's pinned himself down in an office area that has all the glass around him. And as he ran there, if you remember, for those of you who know the movie, as he ran into this office complex, Hans noticed he didn't have any shoes on. And so he tells the other uh, uh, terrorists, he tells them to do something. Anybody know what he tells them to do? Shoot the glass. Okay, so I'm not the, you guys, it's your favorite Christmas movie too, okay? So... So don't judge me, you've seen it too, all right? And so shoot the glass. And so if you remember, uh, the reason he does that is he knows John's barefoot. In order to escape, he's going to have to run across broken glass to get out, right? (laughs) Come on, man. It's John McClane. No problem for him, right? He ran right across the broken glass. And, And no problem for him. You know, we're, this morning we're going to unpack the armor of God. And last week, and, and I know we got two separate preachers. I hope sometimes you take the time to listen to both campuses uh, because we, we do try to sync up our sermons, but there's some differences. And for me, I mean, I really spent time, and I know Pastor Andrew hit on this too, that, that the armor is Christ. If you want to be in the armor, you have to have the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is our armor. And we're going to learn this morning, there's kind of this, Paul is teaching this section with kind of a dualistic purpose of, yes, the armor is Christ. And yes, we put on the armor. And it's, it's not an either or, it's, it's a both and. And this morning, we're going to kind of begin to unpack this idea that Paul encourages us to put on the whole armor. You, you, can't, you can't do this spiritual battle and only have half the armor on. That's why John McClane, that's why Hans said, shoot the glass. Because he noticed, man, John McClane is missing a piece of his armor. Right? And it left a weakness in, in, in his life. And, and in similar ways, some of us, man, we're, we're, we're t- doing this thing called spiritual battle and we're ill-equipped. And I want to encourage us and suggest that, man, we've got to put on the entire armor, which is, of course, putting on Christ. But there's also a process, which we'll begin to unpack in the, in the coming weeks. All right? So do me a favor. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. Paul writes, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So the first thing I want you to do this today is be reminded, you have to put on the entire armor. You can't leave a piece off or you're going to be vulnerable in your spiritual journey. And I'm going to unpack this here this morning, but Ephesians 6, 11, put on the whole armor. 
Paul says two things, the whole armor that you may be able to stand. So we have to have the entire armor on. And, and, and I, the, the original language here actually pulls out a, an important piece to this. It's put on the entire armor, both permanently and constantly, all right? And so for those of you who are like real theological, if last week, you know, I was preaching the doctrine of justification, which I said, that is the armor of God, which is a one-time legal declaration. But if you read this passage, you also understand that it's... It, it's probably talking about our sanctifying process, this growing to be more like Jesus. And so it's not an either or, it's a both and. And the idea Paul's bringing out is that we, we put on the, the, the armor in Christ once and for all, and we put the armor on continually as a daily basis, as a spiritual journey. We have to be in Christ every single day. And that's why I finished my sermon last week saying, feast on Christ, feast on Christ, feast on Christ. Every day in his word, your heart, your mind, your thoughts captured with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, put on the entire armor. The second thing he says here is to stand firm. It, it's literally to, to hold a strategic position. And notice that Paul doesn't say to advance. That's an interesting thing, right? He, we're told to stand firm, but not to advance. Why is that? because Christ has already done the advancement for us. Christ has already won. He, he's our victor, and in him, he's won. He's done the spiritual thing. Our job is now to stand firm in him. And we're freed up by the power of the Holy Spirit that now lives in us as Christians to, to battle with our sin and to pursue righteousness. And in that, okay, it's easy to grow weary, yes? If you have a habitual sin that you continually struggle with in your life, and maybe you wonder, man, when am I going to completely overcome that? Well, that's glorification when we get to heaven, all right? Let's not import too much of heaven into this 70 or 80 years that God has given us, right? And, and that's our hope, and man, we look forward to that day, but man, in the meantime, time, and it's a spiritual battle, and the sanctifying process can be wearying, yes? And Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good. And so Paul encourages, man, we got to stand as we battle our own flesh. We're holding a strategic position. It's, it's no small thing to persevere in your journey with Christ day in and day out for a lifetime. This is holding a strategic position, it's no small thing to walk with Christ. And listen, we don't, we don't, at Coastal, we, we try really, I, I try really hard not to just single, like we're honoring Paul and Courtney today, and, and they did something really unique. We try really hard not to just say, man, look at this one person, because it takes so many people that love the Lord to make a, and serve his church to make a, a church go, okay? And so I'm very cautious, man. The Paul says we're the body of Christ, and, and you know, you, you gotta have the mouth and the eye and the ear, and you have to have the big toe even. Maybe you're the big toe in the body of Christ, and praise the Lord for that. You can't walk without your big toe. You know, and so, you know, this is very important, but, but stand and hold a strategic position. It's no small, it's no small matter. And I want to remind you, man, we're in a spiritual battle. Paul reminds us of that. Don't, don't forget that the wrestle is not against flesh and blood and we're called to stand firm. And we put on the entire armor and we stand firm, Paul says. It's no small thing. Second thing Paul reminds, we're fighting a spiritual battle. We're fighting a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, 11, and 12. 
Paul writes, he says, put on the whole armor that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against spiritual forces of evil and heavenly places. So I read this, man, I had to pause and I asked myself, man, what are the schemes of the devil? We, we, need, we have a spiritual enemy, Satan himself and his legions. And, and so what are, the, what are the schemes of the devil? Well, number one, the scripture's really clear. The devil seeks who he may devour. Seeks who he may devour. First Peter 5, verse eight, Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Does anybody know how a, how, how a lion hunts? Does anybody know? Uh, that doesn't sound, that's like, my kid crying, now I'm hearing noises. So I just heard that, smaller building and ADD. All right, here's how... Um, <laughs> Um, anybody know how a lion hunts? The uh, pride, oh, like they, they they get the prey by themselves, right? They'll get a pride of lion. They'll go after a pack, and they don't go into the pack and get everybody. What they do is, if you ever watch, you can probably go on YouTube and watch this. What happens? You'll have a pack of a herd of some, say gazelle, right? And they'll be running, and and the whole pack makes makes a right hand a card right hand turn, and then there'll be one gazelle that makes a left hand turn right? And like, oh boy, I'm all by myself. And then the pride of lion will take that one all alone prey and devour it. And so what are the schemes of the devil? And Paul tells us, man, we, we should know this. And we, we, we need to know what the schemes of the devil are. And Peter says, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. So, so how does a lion hunt? A lion separates its prey from the pack and then it looks to pounce, all right? And so, by the way, in your spiritual journey, as you stand and as you put on the armor, you cannot underestimate the power of Christian community. Don't underestimate that. At Coastal, we, have a, uh, we say, man, our vision is to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ, we want you, if you're here this morning, maybe you're investigating Coastal and you're like, what's going on here? We want you to know Jesus. We want to repent of your sin. We want you to follow Christ. And then we want you to develop as an authentic follower. We don't want it to be fake. We don't want it to be a tack on. We want Christ to be your all in all. And we believe the New Testament has shown us, man, that, that being a part of a Christian community is essential. And I think it's essential for making sure that you're not all by yourself so that the devil can pick you off. And we use three phrases, connect, grow, and serve, right? To, to, to fulfill our vision. Number one, we want you to be, connect is be in corporate worship. Every single week, make the commitment to be a part of corporate worship. I know you go on vacation, I go on vacation. I get you to take some vacations, but man, it should be 45, 48 times a year where you're like, I'm gonna set aside the time to worship corporately with other believers to be encouraged in the Lord so that I'm not out there on my own. Number two, connect and then grow. Be in a small group. It's our vision at Coastal. Be in a small group ministry. 
I can't tell you how many times I've found someone that's gotten picked off. You know, I haven't seen one in a while. I see them and they're like, well, I haven't seen you close. So what's going on? Well, you know, I had this thing happen to me and no one ministered to me. And, I, and I, my response is always, I'm shocked that your small group didn't serve you. We're really trying to train our small groups to serve the body in that regard. And you know what they always say to me? Not a small group. And I'm like, that's crazy because you came to Coastal for like five years and I do multiple sermons around the importance of being a small group. Did you think that didn't apply to you? It applies to me. I'm in a small group. Every Sunday night, man, I love it. Can't wait. And these are my, these are my people, you know? These are the people that care for me. And uh, a couple weeks ago, man, I had... I was talking about, help. in one of my sermons in Yorktown, I, was, I think I was in Yorktown, I was talking about uh, helping somebody move and this person came up to me afterwards and they're like, hey, pastor, you like to help people move? I looked at them and said, nope, sure don't, <clears throat> you know. <laughs> oh, you said you did. Well, they're in my small group, right? And so they were moving, so you get the trailer out and you help your small group. And, so it, and, and it's, it's bigger than that, it's spiritual so you can stand firm. Right? And I know we have a lot of small groups up here in Gloucester. Get in a small group, connect, grow, and then serve. Find a place to serve, a ministry of coastal and a mission of coastal. And when you're serving others and using your gifting, and, and by the way, our, we are coastal class, man. We help you unpack this. We help you find the spot that fits your gifting and how God's wired you up. And we do that so that you're a part of Christian community so that you're not off on your own. What are the schemes of the devil? He's like a lion seeking whom to remain about. How's a lion hunt? They separate from the and they devour. We don't want you to be spiritually devoured. You have to be in community. Second thing we see about them, what are the schemes of the devil? The devil tempts. The devil tempts us to sin. We see that in scripture. The devil tempts us to sin. Now, if you want to flip over, you can flip over to Matthew chapter four, okay? And I think Christ gives us a fantastic picture of, of what this looks like, all right? The schemes of the devil, temptation are one of the schemes of the devil. By the way, God does not tempt, God disciplines. But God does not tempt. James 1.13 tells us temptation never comes from God. And so in Matthew chapter four, Christ actually gets led into the wilderness, right? You probably know some of this, some of you that have been in your word a lot, right? He actually gets led into the wilderness by the spirit of God. It says, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Why would the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness? Well, that goes to Hebrews, right? Hebrews four tells us that we have a high priest who has been tempted in all the ways we have been tempted, yet he did not sin, right? And so the spirit of God is preparing Jesus to be our high priest who goes to the Father and intercedes on our behalf. And so temptation number one, so, so Jesus led in the wilderness by the Spirit, he's tempted by Satan himself. Temptation number one is the temptation to forsake the words of God and the plans of God. And we've all been there, right? Matthew chapter three, four, verse three. And the tempter came to Jesus and said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Which by the way, he, at this point, Jesus has been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, right? That would have been like, yeah, I'm ready to eat. I'm, I'm gonna tell you something. Uh, I've been doing really good this week. I've decided to start losing some weight and eating right. And um, somebody placed these fritters up here. You need to close the lid on that box, all right? <laughs> right now, because I can smell it, all right? And man, so, so I know Jesus had to be tempted, right? And so um, 
But he answered, he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness and he's hungry and, and suddenly Satan comes and tempts him. And it's not that it would be wrong to eat, but it wasn't God's timing and it wasn't God's plans at that moment for Christ. Satan tempts Jesus to not take God at his word and God at his plans. And by the way, what do you notice about Jesus? How does Jesus answer the tempter? What does he use to answer the tempter? Anybody know? He uses the word of God, right? And by the way, he uses, you ready for this? Deuteronomy, right? I'm like, you ever read through Deuteronomy? Like, man, can that really help me in spiritual warfare? Yes, it can. It helped Jesus, right? And he says, man doesn't live by every word, um, by, by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's, he's up exalting the power of God. And listen, whenever we get into sin, it's ignoring the word of God. I want you to hear that again because that is so true. That's good stuff. You should write that down. Okay, every time we get into sin, we're ignoring the word of God. And Christ exalts the word of God to defeat Satan and defeat temptation. Temptation number two that Jesus gets. Temptation to be presumptuous on God's promises. To be presumptuous on God's promises. So then the devil in Matthew 4, 5, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him in the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command the angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, again, he answers with the word of God. Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This, is to mi- to, this temptation is to misunderstand God's word and the context of God's word. It's to presume upon God and his character and his timing of things. And once again, Jesus combats why using the word of God out of Deuteronomy. We do the same thing. We have to not only know the word of God, but know the word of God in its context. We have to properly use it. I've heard people misapply God's word frequently. Well, God told Abraham to go to a land that he would show him. So I'm going to leave my good job and move my family to Iowa or Africa or whatever. And I'm not saying that God doesn't call us to do that, but he calls us to do that with proper wisdom and proper resourcing and proper support of our local church and those kind of things. And so, you know, man, people sometimes read the word of God and they presume upon it. And they're forgetting other aspects of the word of God that brings wisdom to our journey. Number three, temptation number three is the temptation to short circuit suffering as part of God's plan. It's a temptation to make life easy. Matthew 4, 8, again, the devil took him to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you'll fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and only shall you serve him. Jesus is the ruler of all. But his heavenly father, he, he submitted to the will of his father and his heavenly father had a process of suffering for him to go through first. Our Heavenly Father is a plan that he's, he's given each of us graciously. But it's all ultimately for his greatest glory. And it's not uncommon for the plan of God to include suffering. Paul says as much in Romans chapter 8. He says, we're children. And if children, 8 verse 17, then we're heirs. I love this verse, by the way. This reminds us that in Christ, we are heirs of the heavenly father. That'd be like me telling you, man, you're an heir of Bill Gates. Would that change your life? It's, but it's way better than that. It's spiritual victory, it's eternal victory. All the resources that Bill Gates could possibly provide you here on earth, our Father provides us here on earth, but he also provides us for eternal things. 
We're heirs to God, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we do what, church? What's it say? You guys aren't used to my teaching style. All right, here we go, ready? So when I say that, we're all supposed to read it together. And uh, actually, in, in your town, there's a little sign on the pulpit that says, look left. So apparently, I'm supposed to, I've gotten used to that. All right, so here we go. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we what? What's it say? Suffer, Suffer with him, right? Man, nobody wants to do that. It's the hard part. Suffer with him, why? In order that we may be glorified with him. What are the schemes of the devil? He tries to get us alone, and he tempts. That's why we have to be in the word of God. That's why we've got to be feasting on Christ's word so that we're aware of the schemes of the devil. The second thing about it, the, the spiritual battle, okay? Letter B here is that we have three enemies of the faith. If you're a Christian this morning, you have three enemies of the faith. Here they are. I'm gonna give them quickly and then I'm gonna kind of spark on each of them quickly. All right, the first is the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are the three enemies of the Christian faith. The world affects our thinking. It's the, it's, it's the thinking of the world, it's the culture of the world that tells us to think or act or behave opposite of the word of God. First John tells us that. We have to be aware of when the culture is influencing us and our minds, and it's really practical, right? I could get really practical here. It's things like bombarding traditional marriage, biblical marriage is a thing of the past. Man, you guys, that's a thing of the past. Why are you doing that? Sexual purity in dating as a thing of the past. Man, it's so old school. It's old school thinking, you know? It's, that's the influence of the world. The way we dress, are we dressing modestly or whatever? The, man, why are you dressing like that? That's old school thinking. The world goes on and on and on with injustices. It's, it's calling right wrong. And, and, and the things that the scriptures are very clear on and the world will begin to twist our thinking. And w- listen, I was hard last week in my sermon in New Yorktown on churches, churches that are taking what God has called unrighteous and calling it righteous. And I say, when a church does that, it ceases to be a church. Call it a country club, call it something else, but it's no longer a church. It's the thinking of the world that has influenced even churches, churches that used to be gospel-centered and Bible-believing when the culture, and listen, church, let me tell you something, the culture is smacking us as followers of Jesus right now. It's hard, it's getting more and more difficult. And I love that because I think that the gospel light is gonna shine all the brighter and it's gonna be more defined who's a follower of Christ and who's not. But the scriptures is what defines for us right and wrong. And the world's gonna be bumping against us, one of our enemies. The second enemy that we face is the flesh. It's our sin nature. And, and by the way, our sin, even when we become, so the great thing, the Bible tells us apart from the work of the Holy Spirit and us becoming followers of Jesus, we're dead in our sins. All we choose apart from Christ is our sin. But once we become believers, we get a deposit of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit in our hearts, which now allows us to do battle with our sin nature. We're now freed up to fight and pursue righteousness in our lives. But your sin nature is with you all the way to glorification. And so you have this spiritual battle that goes on. And I believe that the bulk of the scriptures is preparing us to do battle with our flesh. I think the biggest problem of humanity is the guy in the mirror, okay? It's not the world out there, even though it's one of our enemies, not even the devil. You know, the, the devil tempts, but the devil doesn't make me sin, right? The sin is right here, 
okay? And so, and so the bulk of our battle is, is, is understanding, man, I have this sin nature that's in rebellion. By the way, and listen, when it comes to, uh, I don't know how you and your family are planning on doing education. There's a lot of ways to do it, okay? Uh, but I read a great article just a couple weeks ago that said one of the things, and, and, and so my family's done it all. We've done private school, we've done homeschool, we've done public school, all right? And, and I'm not throwing, I think they all have their merits, all right? But one of the dangers, I think, of the homeschool movement is that you think the only thing you're battling with your children is the world out there. They still have a fleshly nature, right? I wanna protect them from the world and I get all that and I've done some of that and I think that's wise. But we do have to be mindful. That's not the only thing out there we're battling. Your kid still has a sin nature, right? And so I've seen a lot of families that have really done like, man, I really wanna protect my kids from the world. And all of a sudden they get to a certain age and they don't, they're not following Christ. Well, what happened? Well, there's still another enemy. <laughs> that's what I'm saying, right? It's the fleshly enemy. And, and at the end of the day, every human being has to repent, every, even your kids, they have to repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and to overcome the fleshly enemy. Third enemy is the devil himself. Now listen, there's two groups out uh, when it comes to the devil, okay? Um, that we, we don't wanna overemphasize the devil and we don't wanna underemphasize the devil. And I think there's two groups, you know? The, the Pentecostal charismatic movement, I think, tends, tends to overemphasize the work of the devil, right? And, and you find the Satan or a demon or something behind every bush. And then there's another group, and this is really my group, okay? I'm kind of the reformed group. Well, we never talk about the devil and his schemes and what he's out and he seeks who he to devour. And so, you know, we have to be careful. It's, it's not an either or, man. We have, to, we have to be wise to all of our enemies. And by the way, Pastor Joey down at Yorktown is gonna spend a lot more time on this. So if this kind of stuff really interests you, he wrote a, wrote a great article. And I would encourage you to listen to his sermon, right? But our wrestle is not against flesh and blood. Your issue is not your spouse or your neighbor or your kids or your coworker. We're, we're in a spiritual battle. When someone comes into my office and they say, hey, Pastor Sean, you know what? I, I'm really depressed. You wanna know the first question? I usually ask one of the, so, so if you come and see me, like, this, you're gonna get this question earlier. We're pretty early in the conversation. Is there any sexual sin in your life? Like that gets really uncomfortable, doesn't it? I get a little squirmy. You looking at pornography? Are you married? Are you flirting with someone you shouldn't be flirting with? I may even probe into, man, did you ever have an abortion in your past? Because we gotta talk, if that's the case, man, we gotta talk about how the gospel has forgiven you, how Christ has paid for all sins, even the one you can't see. Like, I'll start probing because listen, shame and guilt and not understanding, man, my flesh and my past and the gospel and how it interacts with all that, man, it can leave me depressed. These are really practical things. There's practical outgrowth to the understanding of, man, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Let me chase two quick rabbit trails and then I'll get back on task. First of all, a Christian cannot be demon-possessed, okay? A Christian cannot be demon-possessed. So if you ever wonder, man, I don't know, is this happening? No, no. if you're a believer, then no. Colossians 1.13 tells us this, right? Paul says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. You can't be in two kingdoms at the same time. You're in one or the other, Okay. The second rabbit trail I, I want to I chase is we're never told in scripture to fight Satan or a demon or a power or a principality. We're told to put on the armor, we're told to armor up, and we're told to stand, but we are not told to fight. And in fact, Romans 16, I think, even gives us some instruction in this. He says, Paul writes, for your obedience is known to all so that, you re that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be 
wise as to what is good, but I want you to be what? What's the next word? I want you to be what? Innocent in what is evil. I don't, I don't think we're, we're spending the bulk of our time on you know, demons and spiritual things and even evil, man. We're to be innocent in these things. And by the way, verse 20, I'm gonna come back to this in a couple of weeks when we talk about the gospel, the feet, put on the feet of the gospel shoes of peace. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I love that verse for a couple of things. One, it's an oxymoron that the peaceful God does the crushing, okay? Uh, we don't usually think of those two things in the same thing, and, and, and we get to be a part of it through the spreading of the gospel. Isn't that great news? We're, we're rescuing people from one kingdom to another. And so our wrestle is spiritual, okay, and it's important. Final thing is this. Paul encourages us to armor up. We gotta armor up, why? Because this isn't peacetime. I think too many Christians live like this is peacetime. It's not peacetime. We're at war, and Paul makes that clear in Ephesians chapter six, verse 13, where he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. We need to understand the days that we are living in. We are on the battleground right now, okay? Peacetime is coming, that's why Paul says in Romans 8, man, we have to be prepared for suffering because it's wartime. Peacetime is the hope of heaven. Check this out in Revelation 21. This is the hope of heaven. Revelation 21, 4, when, when Christ returns and he will wipe away for every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more and neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for guess what? What's it say? The what, church? The former things have passed away. Like all that list, the death and the crying and the pain, all that is going to be, those are the things of the past once we get to heaven. Isn't that great news? And I can't, I, we long for that day. I look forward to that day. But in the in-between time, we are in the process of putting the gospel out there so that people can know the freedom of being in Christ. It's why Coastal Community Church is resourcing a campus in Gloucester because we want the gospel to go forward. You guys are on the front lines here in Gloucester, inviting your neighbors, your, your co-workers, your friends that maybe don't know Christ. Invite them here to hear the gospel. And there's times they're gonna look at you like you're a Jesus freak, I know, and I get it. But man, we're at war and it's a spiritual battle. And as Christians, we get up every single day understanding that the days are evil, that we're at war, and the gospel is the hope of the world. Now listen, we're not fighting against people. It's not as, we're not even fighting against a political party. If you take what I'm saying out, what I wanna say next is a political thing, it's not a political thing. Our fight is for truth. And our fight is for the world. And, the, and this battle, guys, is tearing at our hearts and our minds. It's tearing at the hearts and the minds of our children. And sometimes I tell my wife, when it comes to technology in my home, I, I feel like I'm in a jungle and I have a machete and I'm the one trying to carve this path about things I don't even really understand so that I can protect my kids from the things of the world because it's a spiritual battle. And when it comes to parenting, we're just go to bed exhausted. Why? Because we're to get up every day and, and dads especially, as your spiritual leader in your home, and if you're a single mom, then it's on you, and you know it's a spiritual battle. It's going to be exhausting, but we fight because we are wrestling against things that want to tear our homes apart. Yes, it's a spiritual battle. And so, how do we do it? Well, we fix our mind and our eyes and our thoughts, and we need to be fixated. That's why I said last week, I want you to feast on Christ, feast on Christ, feast on Christ every single day. You gotta be filling your heart and your mind with his word and with sermons and with song and with community. 
regularly throughout your week. Connect, grow, serve. Why? So their hearts are captivated. We're reminded to keep pushing forward for the 70 or 80 years because we don't wrestle right now against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. I want to finish with this and we'll close with prayer this morning. Uh, Today must be movie day because I'm about to tell you one of my favorite movies of all times is Rocky One. Okay. Is there anybody in this room that hasn't seen Rocky One? Put your hand up. Okay, let's, shame on all of you, okay? Shame. No, I'm just kidding. Adrian, let's close with prayer. That's a great way to end. Just yell Adrian and close with prayer. Um. No, it's, it's, if you've never seen it, I'll get, I'm spoil, okay, plug yours if you're like, oh, I'll go see it sometime. You should have seen it by now. So anyway, I'm going to spoil it for you. So the theme of the story is you lose, you lose sight of the theme, right? But the theme of the story is this. There's a, the world champion boxer of the world, a guy by the name of Apollo Creed, is fighting a championship bout in, in Philadelphia. And his opponent, six weeks out, breaks his hand. And so they're either going to have to cancel the fight or find a new boxer. And so rather than try to find a no high-end boxer is gonna fight Apollo Creed at this point because they don't have enough time in a short amount of time to train. And so what Apollo Creed does, he goes, I got an idea as a marketing ploy. Let's go find a local unknown fighter who, who will in six weeks get the shot that he never really deserved, the shot at the world championship to be the, the number one ranked title in the world. And so, he, and so Apollo Creed, if you remember, instead of looking at local fighters, he starts thinking promotionally, I mean, I just got to find somebody with a really cool name, right? And so he's, as he's looking in the paper for local boxers, he stumbles across the name Rocky Balboa, right? And so, and so if, you, if, if, you, if you've seen this movie, there's a scene where, where Apollo is with his promoter and with his boxing trainer. And the, and the promoter, he says, man, you know, he's like, Rocky Balboa versus Apollo Creed. And he yells, he goes, man, this sounds like a monster movie. He's so excited, like this is gonna be a great promotion. And then his trainer says, he's left-handed. Don't fight a left-handed boxer. They do everything backwards, right? And so, and so there's this great scene in Rocky where Rocky is training. He's got six weeks. He commits to the fight. He's got six weeks to train. And he ends up training in a freezer in a meat locker, right? And so you remember, he goes in every day to this meat locker and he, he pounds the side of cattle, essentially, right? He's in there pounding and his fists come out bloody, breaks the ribs. And one day the news shows up and they, and they get word of this. And they show up and they, and, and they interview Rocky. And so the lady that's interviewing him says, hey, do you mind showing us how you train in this meat locker, right? And so he goes in, he starts pounding this meat, you know, and he's, he's hitting it so hard that the ribs of this cow are breaking. And so the scene then cuts from there to Apollo Creed, and Apollo Creed is in his business office and he's there with his promotional manager and he's also there with his trainer and his trainer, his boxing trainer, is watching Rocky train. But meanwhile, Apollo, who's not training at all at this point, he, he, he's, he's with his promoter. 
And he says to his promoters, and you, you overhear him talking to his promoter, and he says, listen, he's, he's engrossed in the, in, in the details of making money and promotion. And he says, listen, I wanna make sure, you hear him say, hey, make sure you fly in my barber, right, from you know, the West Coast. And he, and he says, send some flowers to the mayor's wife and make sure they have reservations. And, and him and his promoter are talking tax breaks and, and advertising. Meanwhile, his assistant, his, his boxing trainer, is watching Rocky train and he's seeing him bloody up this cow as he's training and he yell he talks to Apollo Creed who's with his promoter in the corner he says hey champ he says you might want to come look at this boy you're gonna fight on tv looks like he means business and without even looking up from the background Creed says this he says yeah yeah I mean business too and then he says can someone go get me a cup of coffee and at that point Apollo Creed's boxing trainer begins to get a worried look on his face as he begins to watch Rocky assault this beef until he's out of breath. And then the scene cuts away. Now, if you've seen the movie, if you haven't seen the movie, the four of you need to have a little meeting today and watch it, okay? Um, Rocky one will be played here at one o'clock, okay? So... uh, could we get that on these screens? It sound great through the sound. Says I might be here. <laughs> Supposed to do a wedding. I'll call in sick. Hey, Rocky, Rocky one. Sorry, can't somebody else have to do it. No, but if you know the movie, right? Rocky doesn't win, but he he shocks the world by going 15 bloody rounds with the champion. And I tell you that long story to say, man, I want to encourage you this morning to wake up. Paul says, armor up. Paul says, stand. We're in a spiritual battle. And I think too many of us are like Apollo Creed. Yes, Christ has won the battle for us. Now we're kind of coasting and and we're kind of like Apollo Creed going, yeah, yeah, God, I mean business too, but we really don't mean business or it's the wrong kind of business. We're we're investing in the things that we looked at. I looked at in Yorktown last week, 1 Corinthians. We're investing in things that don't last. Yeah, yeah, God, I mean business too. I'm trying to get my 401k in the house and stuff, this, that. I want kids to make sure that, man, I hope the kids get a great education. And we're forgetting the things that really matter. We're forgetting our enemies, man. We're, we're filling our minds with Netflix and TV and those things that are, it's the, the world is influencing us and we don't have any of the word of God in there to do battle with the world. And so every temptation that comes our way, man, we're just then indulging our flesh because, man, we got the sin nature with us. Yeah, yeah, God, I mean business too. And then every time, you know, you're out on a date and your date says, hey, you wanna go back to my apartment? And because we have no mooring and we forgot it's a spiritual battle, yeah, I guess we'll go back to your a rumor. Every flirtatious comment at work. We're not protecting our marriages like we should. We're not protecting our electronics like we should, right? And so we're stumbling into sexual sin without ever thinking, man, it's a spiritual battle. We're not learning to guard our tongue or grow in patience and on and on the list goes because we're not surrounding ourselves with anybody in community that'll call a spade a spade when they see our lives going down the wrong path. And so we're not doing spiritual battle, right? And we forget that the devil is roaring about. So all of a sudden we separate ourselves from corporate worship. We're not in a small group. We're not finding a place to serve and all these things that keep us in community so that we don't get alone so that the devil can't devour us. And we forget that it's a spiritual battle all the while we're telling God, yeah, yeah, God, I mean business too. And Paul says this morning, armor up. Armor up. Put on the entire armor. There can't be a piece missing. 
There's a piece missing, it's shoot the glass. You have a weakness. If you're not feasting on Christ, you haven't even began the journey of armoring up. And Paul says, stand firm. Because we have an enemy that wants to wreck our lives and wreck our families and wreck our hopes and wreck our purposes and wreck our churches and anything that's good because anything that's good comes from God and we have an enemy that hates God. So armor up, stand firm, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That's my encouragement to you, church. Feast on Christ. Feast on Christ. Use the tools that he's given us to feast on him. It's my prayer for you. It's been my prayer for Coastal Community Church throughout, the, throughout this four weeks that we would be a people that feast on him. Let's close with prayer. Father, forgive me for the times that I forget that this is a battle. And I'm so cavalier and I say, yeah, 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 I mean business too. I wanna pray for the person in this room right now that came this morning and um, they've kind of been on their own. They've, they, it, they haven't been in a while, they're not connected and, and the truth is spiritually they felt like they were about to get devoured and by the power of your spirit you brought them here this morning and their hearts are encouraged and I pray that they'll continue to take the next steps of discipline to be a part of community so that they won't be alone so the devil won't prowl about and devour them Lord, I pray for the one in this room that's battling with temptation, the same sin over and over and over and they lose the battle. And I pray, Father, they would be in your word, they would be in community, they would have accountability in their life, Lord, that there would be a brother or a sister in Christ that will walk with them during this spiritual battle and that they would armor up and that they would stand I pray for the one in this room, Lord. Maybe, maybe they don't know you. Maybe they came to church, been a while. They've been coming or trying to figure out their life. They, their purposes seem sideways. Their hope is gone. And, and as this series has been unfolding, I realize, you know what? I don't even know Christ. I pray, God, by the power of your spirit, they would repent of their sin and they would trust in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, your God, your savior to us, who defeated all our enemies so that we can have victory in Christ and Christ alone. Thank you for the hope of the gospel. Thank you for this church. Thank you that we can encourage one another. Thank you that you've given us the tools to armor up and to stand firm. Thank you that Jesus is the victor and all we have to do is feast on Christ and the victory is in him. That's why we worship. That's why we open your word. That's why we do small groups so we can continue to focus our minds and our hearts on Christ. And so we thank you, God, for giving us your Savior, the victor and our hero. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Listen, if you have pr- need prayer this morning, so, something going on spiritually, you like to talk to someone, I'll be up here for a little bit. I know Pastor David will be here. I know Nate would love to work, uh, meet, work, uh, serve you in any way that he can. And so, I don't know, whatever. Which one's Nate? Raise your hand, Nate, so we know, okay? And uh, listen, we'd love to serve you. If you're here this morning, you don't know Christ and you would like to, talk to me, talk to Pastor David, talk to Nate. We would love to share with you how you can start a relationship with God. Church, this last song's to encourage you, right? So we go out singing, we go out with the gospel in our heart. So we go out standing firm, so we go out armoring up, okay? So let's stand, let's go out singing, and let's live for Christ this week. Nate?